When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. On today's Coaching Coordinator Podcast, we're going to talk about special teams, and we talk with the former special teams coordinator at RPI, now the receivers coach, and assisting with special teams at Bucknell, Keith Larson. Keith, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Keith, thanks uh, Thanks again for having me. I uh, really appreciate what you do, and especially as we went through the quarantine, it uh, has been great to get a listen to, to different coaches, so this is all great. Uh, well, well I, I appreciate that, and um, I know we'll get into this a little bit later. Uh, I know part of the country here is going to face some more challenges uh, with you know seasons being shifted around or shut down, and that's certainly something that affects you. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Before we do that, I want to get into your background a little bit. Uh, you've been able to, to move around football, and you have been at different levels that have led you to uh, the position you're at at Bucknell. But talk to us a little bit about getting your start in in coaching. What was it, uh, I guess, first of all, that made you think you wanted to do this as a career? Yeah. Uh, so for me, uh, I come from a, a family that has a strong football background, uh, like many people that end up getting into the profession. Uh, but for me personally, I had a grandpa that played at the University of Missouri, uh, then actually served in World War II and finished up at Northwestern uh, in a very bizarre story of the times. Um, Then from there, I had uh, four uncles that played in college. Uh, Most notably, I had one that played at Stanford and one at Rose Bowl. Um, Then so kind of once it got to me, uh, just in in terms of the family, um, you know, they had become doctors, lawyers, had been very well educated, you know, used their pathway as as players to, to get a great degree uh for me it kind of came down to all right i can be the first one to give back um and go into to coaching as a profession uh for this game that's you know given us so much um and my grandpa kind of summed it up best uh, kind of sitting around one christmas uh when he was like you know we literally wouldn't be here uh, without the game of football uh you know i wouldn't have went to college and met your grandmother I wouldn't have been afforded uh, the opportunity to go to med school uh, we wouldn't have been afforded the, the opportunities that we have today um, so that's kind of something that I try and carry uh, is the fact that, you know, it's my turn to, to give back. Um, that's really why I got into coaching uh, to begin with. So you played at Valpo, and from there then uh, you did start your college coaching experience. Talk about us to us about making that transition and the difference between, you know, being a player and now stepping into a role as a coach. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I had a chance, you know, growing up in the Midwest, uh, you know, grew up like an hour north of Chicago and in, in Belvedere, Illinois. Um, from there, I played at Valparaiso, as you mentioned, uh, played safety. Uh, from there, I was lucky enough uh, to get a chance to be a grad assistant coach at Robert Morris University, uh, which is now actually Roosevelt University. Uh, they recently had a merger and they play at the NAI level. Um, so for me, first and foremost, you know, I was very lucky uh, to get a grad assistant role uh, coming right out of, out of college. I was able to set that up in the, the spring of my senior year going into it. Um, and just kind of the logistics of uh, Robert Morris, now Roosevelt University. Uh, it's a school that their campus is in downtown Chicago, uh, and then they practice and have a football facility in the suburbs. Uh, so for me, in terms of a transition, uh, there was a lot of logistics and a lot of things that I was doing as a grad assistant coach that, that aren't normal. Uh, I mean, you know that you wear a lot of hats no matter where you go as a grad assistant coach, um, but everything just from getting players to practice. Uh, when I first started there, there were coming in on a train from the city um, we had 15 passenger buses and we were picking them up from practice um, then my second year we transitioned to hey now they're taking coach buses out to practice there and back um, and you had different coaches that you know had to had to ride the bus and just kind of monitor the players because um, obviously they're in a in a major city in a major environment uh, so for me just kind of very eye-opening um, just first of all that something like that could work um, and we were able to make it work at a very high level and we're very successful um, but just in terms of, all right, now I have this responsibility, um, you know, literally, uh, you know, looking after, you know, kids, I call them kids, even though they're the same age as me. Um, so obviously that was a huge transition, um, but just on top of the normal football tasks, uh, a lot of growing up taking place. Then um, even beyond that, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, be an admissions counselor uh, when I was there. Um, so in terms of growing up, once again, you know, I had to transition from, all right, I have my own college loans to pay. Uh, now I'm giving advice on different loans, you know, whether they be private or federal loans that kids are taking out. Um, so for me, just in terms of understanding the, the college process and growing up on the fly, um, absolutely. Uh, a lot of that happened very fast and none of that has anything to do with football. Um, but at the same time, it does uh, just because for me, just taking on that extra responsibility um, just really allowed me to, to mature and grow up as a coach as well. Well, I'd imagine working in admissions and in, in financial aid probably gave you a pretty good understanding of things that can help you in recruiting as well. What were some of the, I guess, ways that helped you as you transitioned from being a GA then into a full-time role? Yeah. Um, so as I transitioned, you know, when I went to my next school, when I went to RPI, um, I was able to sit down and, you know, I had a full understanding of, you know, the financial aid and loan process. Um, you know, at every school, regardless of scholarship, non-scholarship, uh, there's going to come a point where, you know, families are you know asking about loans or asking about different ways to uh, just finance their education. Um, and, and your job as a coach, uh, it's all about, you know, that return on investment. You know, no matter where you coach, whether you preach it or not, you have to show the worth uh, and the value of the education that you're offering. Um, and if you can actually quantify that and show that, uh, it means a lot. Because um, a lot of coaches, you know, sadly in our profession, sometimes uh, they just like to pass the buck and say, hey, you have to go talk to this person. Uh, but the more understanding you have and the more clarity you can give to parents, uh, definitely the more at ease they're going to feel in the recruiting process and more comfortable they're going to feel uh, just as it comes to higher education. It's definitely not a cheap thing, no matter where you are. Um, and it's, you know, becoming increasingly tough on families, especially with what's going on right now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And being at the Division Three level, 
myself, I know, you know, outside of the football and athletics building, probably the, the place I spent the most time would be over at admissions and trying to understand uh, what they were looking for too. And in, in learning a lot of those things and learning about the way their financial aid worked, understanding the, the, the admissions process, I started to understand who I needed to be looking for as a coach because there is there's a certain type of, of student, uh, a, a demographic of that student um, that's going to work for them financially, that's going to work for them from an academic standpoint, et cetera. And, you know, you think especially at the Division three level, I mean, you have to cast a wide net um, to be able to find those people you're looking for. So understanding in, in what that athlete um, from a, a student-athlete perspective, profile, et cetera, might look like, is going to help you a ton in that process. Yep, absolutely. And then even now, uh, you know, I went from being at a high academic Division three school in RPI, which is Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute uh, up in Troy, New York, um, where it's a phenomenal engineering school, also has a great school of business. Um, even transitioning now to being at the Division one level in the Patriot League at Bucknell, uh, Bucknell is another conference that's, you know, very similar to the Ivy League, very high academic um, yes, we do have scholarships, um, but we also have partial scholarships and some kids on no scholarships at all. Um, so really a mix of everything. Uh, so for me, you know, having that experience at the high academic division three level, um, you know, it happened to transition, you know, re- really well for me. Um, and personally, yes, I think in terms of the recruiting aspect, um, you ask anyone, you know, it's not only harder, but you learn a lot more about the recruiting process when you're doing it at the Division three level or at the NAI level when you are casting that wider net and truly have to have more knowledge of the process um, and, are, and aren't just offering scholarships. Uh, so definitely invaluable for me in my career going forward. Um, and I was fortunate enough to go from, you know, kind of a like-minded Division three high academic institution uh, to now being one at the Division one level that's also really high academic. Um, so it's worked out really well for just me as a recruiter and as a coach. So Keith, in your young career right now, you know, these, these first five, six years in the profession, what do you feel have been some key lessons you've learned along the way that probably will be a big part of what you do moving forward? Yeah, um, so I'm very big on, you know, you, you hear it all the time, um, but, you know, beyond just trusting the process of, you know, just being where your feet are planted um, and really making it your big time. Um, that was someone that I know you've had on your podcast before, Jeff Dittman. Uh, who I worked with at RPI, um, he was very big on our players, just kind of emphasizing, hey, you know, don't sell yourself short and think, hey, I, you know, I'm at this Division three school. These guys I played with are at a Division one school or a Division two school, um, and I think I'm better than them. Uh, the reality is you're here right now, um, and this is your chance to make it your big time. Uh, you're getting a great education, have the chance to play football at a high level, um, and win a lot of football games. Uh, for me as a coach, it's no different. Um, You know, that avenue and that, you know, getting to that next step or what you think you might be your next phase as a coach, uh, if you're not invested in where you're at and doing the best job you possibly can there, uh, the reality is it's probably not going to happen. And whenever I kind of stray from that or realize, hey, you know, I'm looking too far into the future or stressing about different things, it's, you know, the reality is because it's not, you know, where your feet are planted and making it your big time. Uh, So that's definitely something I try and continually stay grounded in. Um, especially as a response of uh, right now, what's going on, right? So right now we're having to take a step back and we were just faced with the reality in the, the Patriot League. You know, we're not having our season. 
Um, we still have to make the most of that situation uh, just because that is not only our job, but kind of our duty uh, for the kids and the, the people that we coach. Yeah. And you were telling me that news kind of hit you hard. You, you found that out on the way back from your honeymoon. So in a lot of ways, uh, that honeymoon was over in, in football, as well as ending that, uh, that time with your wife. Um, you know, in looking at that right away, how did, how did you deal with your players? How did you guys handle that part of it? And I guess both breaking the news, but also, I mean, you know, a lot of this is still recruiting now. Those guys are going to want to know, what are we doing? You know, what, what's my yeah. career look like as a student athlete? Yeah. So, uh, the first thing we did is we handled it on a micro level, you know, just with our different position groups. Um, cause we wanted to make sure that, Hey, before we, you know, address the team or came together as a whole team, uh, we wanted to immediately get from our different position groups. What are some of the questions, you know, and some of the guys might have the same questions. Uh, so we took the reactions of, you know, our players first. Um, so, you know, for example, we had the quarterbacks and receivers all together, um, and just kind of met and, hash things out and kind of the common questions that people had. Um, then about two days later uh, or a day later, I guess, uh, as a team Tuesday night, you know, we had a, a team meeting, got everyone together, uh, had our athletic director on there as well, which was a, a huge help just offering clarity, um, especially as a, you know, scholarship institution. Uh, a lot of the questions, you know, dealt more so with, you know, financial terms. Um, hey, what if uh, we decide to, to take this semester at home remotely and we're not on campus at all? Uh, how does this work? How does this carry over? Um, so a lot of questions that, yeah, bigger than just, hey, you know, what does it look like for practice? Um, but, hey, what does it look like for, you know, school? And what does it look like for my future eligibility? Um, so we're still finding out some of those answers to those things uh, just because there's a lot of layers to it. Uh, once you get the answer to one question, well, that might create another question in itself. Um, so there's just so many unknowns and and just like everyone else, just going from the day to day right now, uh, absolutely really, really challenging. Um, but, you know, I really appreciate at least our staff, how we handled it, you know, just working on a position level and then, you know, working to the team. Um, but this is something that we were definitely prepared for, uh, especially after the Ivy league was the first to make that decision. Um, you know, the Patriot league being very comparable to the Ivy league, uh, administration wise, very similar, just in terms of the rationale and some of the decisions, I mean, oh, by the way, that's, you know, the majority of our non-conference games we play against the Ivy League. Um, so that definitely had a huge impact on us when we saw that decision being made um, and definitely knew that it was at least uh, a possibility or chance for us to make the same decision. Um, so we're definitely prepared for it. Uh, even though you're prepared for it, it doesn't make it any easier uh, when you actually hear the news and it's a reality. Yeah, and, and you're going to have probably a lot of things to adjust to and uh, learn along the way as you guys move forward in, in unprecedented times. I mean, hopefully you guys are able to play in the spring, but you know, we'll see how those things pan out. As, as you look at this, though, and the effect it's had on you and, and maybe your coaching, have there been some things that uh, you've learned about maybe building relationships in a different way, keeping guys focused in a different way? Because this has been, I think, you know, tough on, on numerous levels, not just from a football logistics standpoint, but um, just in a lot of ways, you know, at times keeping people's spirits up and, um, you know, dealing with the emotional side, the, the, the sociological side, all those things. How, what have you learned, I guess, from this that you think has made you a better coach moving forward? 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the obvious easy one to see is just the technology wise, just kind of the realization that we can do a lot of those things uh, virtually, maybe over the course of the summer that, you know, we weren't doing before just to, to keep players engaged and kind of keep, you know, football on the, the back burner, which is great um, as a coach, just being able to, to share and learn with other coaches remotely as well. Um, I mean, that's been a huge thing for us professionally, just kind of getting an eye in on that. Um, but the, the bigger thing for me and the bigger reminder is, uh, you know, as a, as a program, you always talk about routine, right? The, the idea that you're going to have practices at a certain time, you're going to do these things at a certain time, just so it becomes a true routine for your players. So they don't even have to think about it. They can just do it. And, you know, for us, you know, over the course of really from March on uh, until now, uh, just having some semblance of a routine for those guys, you know, a, a meeting to look forward to, whether we're talking about football, whether we're not talking about football, just having some aspect of consistency in your life in an inconsistent world uh, in terms of what's going on right now is, you know, very, very important, I think. Um, and, and for us as coaches and players, um, just that reminder of, all right, this is our purpose. This is our why. This is why we are doing this um, ultimately to, you know, not only have that common goal of, you know, winning football games, um, but just that unity a team creates. Uh, so just the routine and consistency, uh, being able to offer things on a, you know, weekly, you know, if not daily basis for our guys, you know, via Zoom meetings or via just getting together uh, to talk about different things going on right now in the world. Uh, I think the consistency and routine uh, was a great reminder for me of why that is really, really important. So, Coach, you are the receivers coach at Bucknell, but you re you were a special teams coordinator at RPI, and that's what you did share in uh, in in your presentation. I was really impressed with that, and you know, you started with talking about culture, and for you, it was using the acronym SWAG. Talk to us about what SWAG means to you on special teams. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to kind of use this quarantine to, to grow as a coach. Um, and I did a lot of presentations on special teams. Uh, I assist now with all the special teams at Bucknell, but I'm not our uh, special teams coordinator. Um, but that's something that I definitely aspire to get back to. Um, so when I was in college, uh, I was one of those guys who uh, made sure I got on the bus as a safety. Um, wasn't necessarily as a starter on defense until my senior year. Uh, but special teams was a big deal for me uh, and a big reason why I was on the field. Uh, the first time swag uh, as a concept had been introduced to me was in college. Uh, that was by Casey Teagarden, who's now the special teams coordinator at Indiana. Uh, he no longer uses this, but this is something where as soon as I heard it as a player, it resonated. And I was like, if I'm a coach, uh, someday I'm definitely using this and bringing it back. Uh, and sure enough, that happened. Uh, so what swag is all about, uh, it stands for secure win attack grind. Uh, so got to secure the ball first and foremost. Um, got to be secure in our scheme. We've got to be secure in everything that we do. Uh, that security leads to the confidence that we want on the field. Next is win. Uh, unlike any other unit on the field or any other phase of football, uh, special teams is really predicated on one-on-one -on -one battles. Uh, not as much about scheme, but about me versus him, about doing my best and, and winning that one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so that is the concept of win. Uh, next comes to attack. Uh, got to constantly be the hammer and be not the nail. Uh, constantly on the attack, whether we're going to block a kick or whether we're going to go throw a block, uh, everything is on the attack and we're going to be relentless. Uh, lastly, it's grind. Uh, grind is probably the most overused word in football in the context of, you know, working out or getting after it. Uh, at the same time, if there's one thing that epitomizes the grind, it's special teams. Uh, there's just some people who simply do not want to be out there for special teams. 
Uh, it's going to make the difference at the end of the game. Uh, it's truly a grind. Uh, so all that together, uh, looking for the guy that has the most swag. Uh, so for me, I was able to to build off of that, uh, you know, as a coach. And, you know, I wasn't the special teams coordinator. I was the swag teams coordinator. Uh, our guy that was the player of the week, uh, he wasn't just the special teams player of the week. No, he was the guy that had the most swag that week. Um, so definitely something very fun for the players. Uh, I think the more that you can have people invested into something that not only is fun, but that they believe in, uh, you can definitely see that, uh, you know, guys vying to to be the guy that gets to wear the flat bill hat around that says swag on it for the week uh, was a lot of fun. Um, so that's me something if, yes, I get the opportunity to be a special teams coordinator again, uh, definitely want to bring the, the swagger back. Um, and it's definitely a very fun thing for me as a coach, um, but that is kind of the, the swag concept. Coach, I think you'll agree with this. Unless you get to one of those major programs where the special teams coordinator is only the special teams coordinator, you still have to wear your position coach hat. Uh, you still have guys from other positions contributing to this. And I think this is true you know, at, at more levels of football than not, is that you probably have to be the most efficient coach on the team, both with how you break things down as well as, as what you're going to script and practice. Uh, you know, we talk about it being a third of the game, yet a, a third of the time is, is not spent on it. That means that the time you do spend on it, uh, you got to be very effective with what you do. So talk to us about that framework that you set up to be able to be excellent at special, special teams with some of the limitations of, of time and uh, even manpower. Yeah. Uh, so regardless of level, absolutely. Organization. Uh, organization is your biggest friend as a special teams coordinator and special teams in general. Um, so, you know, I, I made it my job, you know, going into a week of game planning uh, as a special teams coordinator at the D3 level. Uh, our head, co head coach actually wanted to have pretty much uh, a layout and a game plan done uh, by Monday morning. Uh, that meant, hey, the week before, I was definitely doing some prep work uh, rolling into Sunday. Uh, it was a long day, uh, probably the longest day of the week getting into Monday. Um, but that made things a lot easier. Um, the other aspect of that, just coming in with a game plan, I didn't have all the answers. I uh, didn't pretend to have all the answers. Uh, some things, you know, I, had, I would have everything diagrammed that the other team was doing. Um, but would leave it largely open-ended to the table of our coaches, um, just kind of just try and take concepts and, and try and see what people were looking for and what they wanted to do. Um, so organization just from the start and the game plan, uh, I think the sooner that you can be game planning for special teams and not make it, hey, this uh, last-minute thing that you're trying to rush out there, uh, the players see that and the coaches see that. Uh, so that's huge on the front end. Um, but just day-to-day -day in practice, uh, it is so important for me uh, if, you know, you do have a smaller staff that the special teams coordinator is one of the people uh, not only running the drills, but is very active in the coaching. Uh, I don't think that, you know, most places have the manpower to, to for you to truly roam, you know, as a special teams coordinator, as a coach. Um, the other part for me was, you know, if I wanted to guarantee that at least it wasn't necessarily being ran correctly, um, but the way I envisioned it and, uh, you know, the, the way that I could take uh, full responsibility for it, I've got to be running some of the drills. Um, so that's a huge part. Uh, the other thing is just the empowerment of other coaches. Uh, just like you mentioned, you know, other coaches are going to be have to, uh, you're going to have to involve them with it. Um, so just finding the right skill sets and mashups uh, for people to easily coach things on different special teams. Uh, for example, anytime we were doing punt return, uh, the guys that were physically going in for the block, uh, we might be running some kind of twist uh, or doing something from depth uh, where, where guys were coming in to, to block a kick. Well, I wanted our linebackers coach focused on that because he knew the, the best way to, 
to get those guys to fire off and, and twist and make it click. Um, and if you're just doing different positional things, uh, there's generally going to be good alignment. Uh, so it's not just about, yes, finding someone that's willing to do it, uh, but also you as the coordinator, uh, finding someone that matches up the abilities with what they're actually coaching out there, uh, I think is a, a really important piece. Um, so organizationally, as long as you have a huge emphasis on the, the front end of your week, uh, have things laid out correctly, um, then about using your staff uh, as best you can and making sure that you personally are very, very involved. Uh, I think that is definitely the best formula going forward just for organization. So you mentioned having to uh, you know, be able to, to get things going on a Monday. That means you are going to have to do some prep work. Now, uh, you know, with the advent of Huddle, DV Sport, all those things, uh, makes a difference. I mean, I know my first year in college football, which was 2009, we were still meeting. I don't think we were exchanging any uh, any like uh, tapes at the time that that had been out. No DVDs. I think it was at at that time like USB drives or hard drives. We would exchange, uh, but now you get all that stuff ahead of time. So in that prep week before, uh, what what types of things do you do? I guess, to be able to get this thing ready so that when you hit uh, for you a Sunday, you know, high school coaches, it would be a Saturday. But when you hit that day, you'll really be able to uh, to get into that work and get going. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of aspects that honestly, uh, you know, very plug and chug uh, that are, you know, maybe more tedious than they are uh, tough for you to figure out. Uh, so not necessarily talking about the schematics, um, but something we talked about previously uh, for our returners, kick return, punt return, uh, something we'd always do is a spray chart. Um, so I think it, it was always really important uh, to not only have an idea of depth uh, for the returner, uh, but also for you as a coach, uh, is this kicker or punter being consistent? Are they not being consistent at all? Uh, is, in fact, their consistency the fact that they're really inconsistent? Um, because that might tell us, all right, uh, if we really want to get a great return this week, uh, but we don't know where the ball is going, that's going to be really problematic. Uh, so I'm probably going to be more inclined to be more aggressive with our punt return unit. Um, kick return, you know, is he consistently putting the ball uh, between the sideline and the numbers? Uh, do we have to adjust where our returners are? Um, but also just from a, a visual and a, a learning aspect for your returners in the room, uh, if you can put it up on a PowerPoint, if you can send them that email, them that same PowerPoint, um, they have something to reference. Uh, I think that's really valuable. Uh, so that's a simple thing with the, uh, with the spray chart, um, the other thing that I would make sure to always include is uh, beyond trying to put some together some diagrams of their, you know, top returns uh, and what they look like, uh, always take a, a lot of screenshots. Uh, the nice thing about, you know, regardless of what you're watching film on now, um, you know, the ability to not to have to try and remember to pause the film at a certain place, um, but building into your presentation, all right, this is exactly the look I'm looking at. Here's a screenshot on top of a diagram, uh, really valuable for players because everyone learns in different ways. Um, so definitely huge aspects that I would do throughout the week is, hey, these are they're more prevalent or, or common things. I'm going to take a lot of screenshots and make sure to include those. Um, then doing things like the, the spray chart, which is more plug and chug, uh, just based on the, the data that you've put into Huddle or DV Sport or whatever it may be. So as you're looking, you're looking at putting then the game plan together, um, how much do you vary week to week versus, you know, some of those things that you're just going to consistently build on, get those reps throughout the year so that you can get better and better? Yeah. So uh, to me, really three of the four aspects were really consistent uh, from kickoff 
uh, to kick return to our punt scheme. Uh, the thing that really changed week to week was our punt return scheme. Uh, would kind of deem that as a flavor of the week. Uh, reason being, uh, in terms of being different from each other, uh, when you go from a, a shield punt team you're going up against to, you know, a, a pro-style punt team, uh, there's a lot of different variations. And whether they're a man team or whether they're a zone team, you know, there's going to be different ways to attack that. Um, so that is definitely the one area that literally would change every single week. Um, so that's something where, hey, even if we had time in the, the spring to practice special teams, um, yes, we might do some pump block drills, but we would never do full-on uh, scout, you know, uh, a punt return team against the scout punt, uh, just because that's going to vary so much week to week uh, that I'd rather have those guys getting the, the tools in the toolbox to go block a kick or hold up a guy with our mug and shield technique. Um, and it wasn't necessarily about the schematics. Um, beyond that, though, kickoff was, you know, very consistent. You're going to figure out early on uh, what kind of leg your kicker has and are you going to be able to have deep kicks? Are you going to be able to kick, you know, across hashes? Um, are you going to have to change the squib kicks? Um, kick return, you're going to be consistent with, you know, some kind of scheme, uh, regardless of, you know, who's kicking at you. It's just going to be a matter of who you're blocking and how you're blocking them. Uh, the scheme is going to be pretty consistent, um, and your punt team is going to be your punt team. Uh, you're going to either be a traditional uh, pro style or spread style team, um, or you're going to be a shield team and generally stick to that and uh, establish those rules really on early on. Um, but punt return definitely had the, the most variation and changing of parts as the year went on. So, Coach, as you get from that game plan then, and, and we're not, you know, getting into the micro in this, we're looking at big picture, but the, the amount of practice time you have, what are you going to do with your reps, uh, full unit versus small parts of the unit versus individual? How do you allot your time? And I guess we, we should start with how much time do you, did you typically get at RPI? Yeah, so uh, at RPI, pretty consistently, we were getting about 20 minutes uh, on Tuesday, 20 minutes on Wednesday, um, and then closer to a half an hour on Thursday. Um, with the idea being that on Tuesdays, we did punt and punt return. On Wednesday, we did kickoff and kick return. On Thursday, we did all three of those phases. Um, and something I didn't include, you know, there would always be about five minutes a day of PAT field goal. We were doing some aspect of that every day, um, you know, whether it be strictly PATs on Tuesday uh, or more, more challenging kicks on Thursday. Um, would, would put that into the mix. Um, but looking at about 20 minutes, yeah, with your, your main practice days on Tuesday and Wednesday, um, and then uh, half an hour trying to get through all four phases on Thursday. Um, so kind of how, you know, I looked at it as, as a coach is uh, some people get really paranoid as coaches about, uh, you know, people walking around, right, once you're on the, on the field and transitioning. Um, transition is definitely a, a huge piece of the special teams where people feel like they lose a lot of time um, is the fact that you have, hey, people coming from offense, people coming from defense. Now you're going somewhere else, um, and they got to figure out what they're doing and get into it. Um, so my approach to that, you know, I'd always beg as much as I could. If you know we're going to have one water one water break in practice, uh, let's make sure we're doing special teams coming out of a water break so we can uh, be prepared and kind of direct guys before we actually have to direct them uh, with where they're going with a you know a five minute block of a water break. Uh, the other thing I would always try and do is. Um, you know, as the, the scout team is getting ready, uh, you know, looking at the book, getting a look at what they are doing, uh, we're going to try and take, uh, you know, punt team, for example, we're going to take two to three reps on air uh, before that team's even ready. Uh, that way I feel like nothing's lost. Um, you kind of have that buffer transition period. Um, so even if it's kickoff, hey, even if you're talking about uh, just stance and starts and, and bursting out for 10 yards, just trying to get that timing, 
Uh, I don't think that time ever needs to be wasted waiting for the scout team. Uh, I don't feel like I have to be, you know, paranoid yelling at the scout team to, to get ready. Um, there's a way to valuable, you know, use that. And that's a lot of times just doing, you know, your scheme on air um, or doing some version of a walkthrough as the, the scout team gets ready. Um, and then as long as you're getting a handful of true good on good reps, uh, that's great. Um, but there's also, you know, really good ways to limit those reps. Um, you know, if you're looking at punt, punt return, for example, uh, we would always just snap the or uh, on the whistle, uh, just be going until the ball is kicked. Uh, after the ball is kicked, uh, we would blow it dead once again. Um, so that way, hey, it wasn't like people were running 40 yards down the field, having to reload and do it again. Uh, what are we trying to do there? Uh, we're trying to have a great get off and either block the kick or we're trying to have a great get off and hold people up on the line of scrimmage. It's really not about the 30 yards of work uh, in between that and the, the returner getting the ball. So coach, you mentioned being able to pick up a lot of ideas here and in, in this uh, off season, you know, as you look at maybe one thing you've picked up that you've said, wow, this is, this is a different, this is something different. I haven't thought about it this way before. I want to incorporate this into how we practice or game plan or, or whatever it might be. What's one of those ideas that you picked up? Um, just the idea of being more efficient, you know, with some of those special teams drills. Uh, obviously, like I said, I had focused on uh, trying to get, uh, you know, a, a deeper dive for me into special teams. Um, but there's a lot of people that have some great circuits out there uh, that I've picked up where you're really fine tuning on, you know, focusing on the specifics of special teams uh, and the idea that, hey, you can do that before practice. Uh, if you're taking five minutes before practice, uh, you can have the entire team kind of cross training everyone, get a rep doing different things, whether that's blocking a kick, um, whether that's having a get off on, on kickoff, uh, things that translate across the board. Um, not the idea of using pre-practice solely for uh, getting ready for offense and defense, um, but the idea of using pre-practice for uh, getting people moving around and getting everyone involved in special teams. Uh, I thought that was a great concept. If you really want to show that, hey, there's an emphasis on this, uh, let's get the whole team involved and let's get people's blood moving. Uh, I thought that was great. So I've seen that from a lot of uh, different FBS schools, especially um, who generally have, you know, very large staffs and a lot of people at those different stations. Um, but I think even, you know, at the, the smaller levels or even if at max you have 10 people on your staff, uh, I think there's definitely a way you can still figure out how to do it and, uh, officially and get people exposed and moving around and at least get the blood flowing for practice. Well, Coach, we're going to have to have you on another time to get into what you do with, with receivers. And I really appreciate the time you spent with us today to talk about special teams. Um, but if we look at all the things you do as a coach and all the hats you've worn over your time, uh, what would you say is, is something you do, uh, you know, that's personal to you that really gives your guys the winning edge? Yeah. Uh, so for me, you know, when people ask like, what is your, you know, coaching philosophy, you know, what's your approach? Uh, for me, uh, I try and have my exact same approach that I have to life, uh, be the exact same that I have as a coach. Uh, and that really comes down to three things. Uh, these three things are three things I talk about all the time. Uh, everything from being in my Twitter bio to, to something that I try and uh, embody with what I do in everyday life. And that's number one, have a great perspective. Uh, number two, know what my purpose is. Uh, for me, that's, you know, my faith and my family. Uh, and lastly, perseverance. Uh, nothing is, is more true to the idea of having to persevere, persevere uh, than what's going on in the world right now. Um, and if you don't have that great perspective and waking up in the day to day and you don't have that purpose, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to persevere. Uh, so perspective, purpose, and perseverance, uh, that's me as a coach. Uh, that's me in life. 
Uh, again, just like anything else in uh, football or coaching, that's not unique to me. That's that's stolen from Russell Wilson, actually. Uh, but something that I, I really took on when I was a player in college and said, this is me. Um, so definitely in terms of a winning edge, uh, that is something that I you know vow to provide and definitely consistently provide on a day-to-day basis. So for our listeners, Coach, uh, what areas of the country do you recruit? Yep, so uh, for Bucknell, I recruit New York and New England. Um, so all the states included there in New England, including Connecticut uh, and the state of New York. And what's the best way coaches can reach out to you either to learn more or, or maybe share uh, one of the kids they have that uh, they feel is under the radar? Yeah, Twitter is definitely the best medium for that. Uh, at Coach K. Lars, uh, and my DMs are open. Uh, regardless if I follow you or not, uh, you can go ahead and send me a message. Uh, so I make sure a daily check, you know, through those messages and, and be able to check out players and respond to coaches. Uh, so definitely reach out to me on Twitter uh, at Coach K. Lars. Well, Coach, I really appreciate you spending time with us. Um, best of luck to you and, and Bucknell, the Bison, as you guys uh, move forward here and figure some things out. But uh, I know all of us are going to come out ahead. We're going to get through this, and uh, it's going to be a better future for all of us and the game of football. Really appreciate it, Coach. Thanks again for your time today.